You are getting sleepy, very sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. Right, my darling? Yes, dear. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. You will not dislodge the hose and blast air all about the bedroom. You will not wake me, your loving husband, who yearns for even a single night of uninterrupted slumber. Please. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. Inspire treats the root cause of sleep apnea inside your body. While you sleep, Inspire keeps your airway clear so you can breathe normally and rest comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit inspiresleep.com to learn more. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to episode 109 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast where Marissa is queen, Captain is king, and I am your host, Bethany Finger. This episode is brought to you by Rampy and Crew patron supporters. Thank you. Today we have two very special and very requested guests, Morgan and Ruthie. Yay! Hello! <laughs> Ladies, let's talk about what you are currently reading. I am currently reading for my work book club, uh, Becoming, by Michelle Obama, and I am really enjoying it. God, I love uh, Michelle Obama. <laughs> yes, seriously. And listening to the audiobook is so great because she actually, like, narrates it, so... It's just been really interesting listening to her talking about her life. I'm, like, way behind because we're supposed to, like, talk about the second half of the book to the epilogue tomorrow. Oh, my. And I just got to the part where, like, her and Barack just started dating, and that's, like, the middle of the book. (laughs) I got some speed reading to do tonight and tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I am about to start reading Poisoned by Jennifer Donnelly for um, my episode of YA Book Chat with Leah and Lily. Oh, so. that's so exciting. I didn't even know you were going to do an episode with Leah. I love that. Um, I She was looking for a guest because her guest fell out. So um, it happens. It happens yeah. more than you'd think. <laughs> so but this is... Um, uh, my first ever episode that I will be on her podcast. So that'll be fun. Very exciting. That'll be really fun to listen to. So I am still reading the Vampire Academy books and they're going very well. I am, I'm enjoying them a lot more than I thought I would because of like school and stuff. I'm trying to go back and forth between like the audiobooks and reading the physical books and something that's slightly annoying is that, like, every book has a different narrator. Uh, I hate that. I do not like it. <laughs> I find it very annoying. <laughs> that just tells you how much we love Rebecca Soler and... Right? Consistency. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because, because honestly, the Mortal Instruments, uh, Cassandra Clare's books are like that, too so frustrating because it was such like a big popular book um Mm -hmm. it they were like oh we'll get this actress to voice 
the narrator in this book and we'll get this actor slash actress to do this book. Like, I don't care if they're famous. Just that give doesn't me mean they're going to do a good job. Just give me consistency. <laughs> I don't know. Being famous doesn't mean you're going to do a good job. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Well, and the very, the very first audiobook I ever listened to was Cinder. So I got so spoiled with listening to Rebecca read the entire series. So then going into Ruth making me listen to the Mortal Instruments, and I'm like, wait. Why is, like, getting to the second book, like, why does Jace have a British accent? Like, <laughs> like some of the things that they chose, it was, it was weird. Yeah, and even, like, with the first book in that series, there's technically, like, two or three narrators. I don't mind if it goes back and forth for different people. You know, like, the Renegades narration, it has a, a male yeah. that does the parts for Adrian and Rebecca Solaire still does the voice of Nova, but it just gets so frustrating listening to, because also like, it's not just different voices, it's different tones. They, they say things different ways. They have different mannerisms. They have different pronunciations. Like it's weird to listen to the name pronounced multiple different ways. And it's like, so how do I say it? <laughs> the, the thing that I don't get is like, did they not make them listen to the previous book? Like, do they not make them see, like, how the name is pronounced? Or, like, even, like, when the publishers don't have the book narrators talk to the author to, like, figure out how do you say this word? I mean, um, I don't understand how any of that works, right? Because, for example, Rebecca Solaire says Ico. Yeah. And Marissa says Eco. And now Marissa is uh, very kind about it. She's like, you know what? At this point, they're both canon, you know. But okay. it, it is kind of like, it's a little disconcerting because it's like, well, you know, now you get multiple people who are saying it different ways. The same with like Hermione, right? Yeah. Yeah, true. Um, so I was listening to the audiobook for We Hunt the Flame and I had heard that it had some issues, but then actually listening to it for the first quarter of the book, I would say, every time the main character's name was said, you could tell it was re-recorded. Mm. The main character. I don't like that. No. So, like, every time, every time, because, like, you can tell, like, you can tell, like, if it was, like, a different session or something like that, because it just, like, takes you out of it real quick. Right. So that was that was definitely rough. Um, I really like a series that I tried to get Morgan to read, which she still hasn't read, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, by Cora Carmack, and um, the narrator for that is really, really good. And fingers crossed that they'll get the same girl to do the third book because the third book hasn't come out yet but you know that would be nice so let's talk about some fan art friday this is from eern arts shared it on june 4th i love it so much i love when we get such unique fan art this is everett and winter and lavana at their wedding 
No, I think Winter's a little bit big because she's supposed to be like a month old and she looks like a toddler in this picture, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. I actually really like it. I like the way that Everett looks. Yes. Uh, Daddy. Like, he looks so good. <laughs> You're so he funny. He looks so good. And Lavana looks so good. And I'm like frosty about it. But, but like, she also looks really young, which is yeah. great. I'm convinced that she's only like 16 or 17 in that picture, you know? Yeah. Sometimes I see Lavana with Everett and I'm like, right, but she's supposed to be like 17 or something. So, you know, she shouldn't look like that or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, and then baby, baby Winter is just, she's just so cute. Oh my gosh. I love her little curls. She makes me think of like Disney babies. Yes. Like with the big old eyes. Yes. The like tiny nose and scrunched up face. I mean, I feel yes. like the best, the best uh, Disney baby is uh, Rapunzel slash Tangled. Yes. Yes. I think we can all agree that Rapunzel everything is the best everything. Yes. Or I can. Yes. That's my life. So. <laughs> yeah. So good. And um, apparently we need to watch the Tangled TV show because that's what everybody So good. It has like an actual plot that carries that's over weird. the entire series. And they got the same actors from the movie. Really? Yeah. So, you definitely need to watch it. That is rare. Okay. That's shocking. That's, like, way shocking. Definitely putting it higher up on the to-watch list. Right? So, last week, Patreon members voted for chapter titles, which I apparently did not put in my notes. So, let's go look at Patreon and see what the final vote was. (laughs) I have been so scatterbrained with everything today. Oh my goodness, you guys, while we're on a tangent, right? Because you guys know that I'm a grad student and that I have a million things going on at once and stuff. Quentin just went to take a shower a minute ago and he was like, "Uh, did you take a bath recently? And I was like, yeah, I took one last night before bed. I didn't let the water out of the tub. I just apparently like got out. This has been sitting sitting there since like 1130 last night. (laughs) I mean, when you're, I mean, when you're tired, you're tired, and it happens, right? Yeah. I guess we're just lucky you didn't fall asleep in the tub. Right? Like, yeah. A thousand percent. Yay, no falling asleep in the tub. That is an accomplishment, if I say so. Again, I mean, it's the little things. It is. Okay, so the winner for last week was a pure imagination the cover by fiona apple which is great because that was such a good cover it was so creepy it worked out i was i was really happy with that one i have to go listen to it it's pretty good so i think we are ready for some chapter discussion just a warning for everybody this is a this is our first trigger warning that i will give one later on there will be discussions of adult content in this episode including themes of domestic abuse rape and manipulation so proceed with caution and we will give you a couple trigger warnings to let you know when we're going to discuss some of the darker themes that occur in this episode so last week we left off with Lavana telling Everett, you're marrying me and that's end of discussion. <laughs> as the time has gone by, it seems like he's not resisting as much. And Lavana thinks that this means he's starting to forget Solstice. 
he's become he's still not um public he's very stoic in public but you know when it's just the two of them it's not so bad she's even loosened some of her her hold on him but he still calls her soul Mm. well she looks like soul she does and it's hard to imagine how she could fathom that he's forgetting about solstice but also that that he's like calling her solstice you know yeah. yeah. The thing that I have is that, like, she's mad at the realization because, like, she doesn't, um, like, she's, like, she's mad that he won't forget Solstice, but then, like, is completely oblivious to the fact that, like, but you're wearing her face. Her face. And, like, I can't even imagine, like, okay, so as a child that lost a parent young Mm -hmm. I could not imagine like if my stepmom like my dad went to go get married to my stepmom and like she looked just like my mom like I think that that would traumatize me even more yeah as it should right I, I mean yeah I mean of course as it should but like that's just like so scarring. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if in some part of him that may be one of his ways of fighting back against her. Calling he her solstice. Soul. Yeah. Like that his that's his one his one way of fighting against her is saying his wife's name and and keeping a hold of his memory as I really do think a big part of it is is the manipulation, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. We, we know she's not controlling his body, but she is telling his mind. That he loves her. That he loves her and filling his head with, with adoration, like she said. So I, I do think a very large part of it is heavily influenced by... The fact that she's filling his head with these thoughts of love and adoration when he just he just doesn't have those feelings for her for her specifically, yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, Marissa does a really good job of describing what Everett looks like um, in this, like during this phase. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that I wrote down in my notes was that like his eyes are hollow when in her presence, like, mm-hmm. like that just, that just to me just like says it all. Like in those few words, like it's like, he's not, he, he's not even in his body. Like it's almost like he's in an out of body experience. Like a daze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I think that that's further evidence of, like she says she's loosening her control, but that doesn't mean that he's not being, gaslit basically yeah brainwashed or however you want to call it yeah and um and i mean marissa even goes as far to say like in like in the actual text she says he was as unreadable as some extinct first era alphabet he gave nothing away he could have been a stranger how is that appealing it's not why why do why do we think lavana 
notices these things. She obviously sees these instances with him and she's still pursuing. Do we think it's it's stubbornness? Does she really love him that much? Is she really so deluded and, and delusional that she's just so certain that if she keeps pushing, then then he will love her? I think she is refusing to accept the fact that the one and only person who she feels has ever been nice to her, um, she can't let that go. Like, she refuses to see it as just someone being nice to her. Um, and she's made up all of these ideas of him. Um, and it, it is partially stubbornness where she's just refusing to let it go. Um, and she thinks she can get whatever ideal back or whatever. She sees him basically as an ideal and she's trying to morph him into that ideal as much as she can. Yeah. And, um, Ruby, Ruby will be very proud because I actually listened to the, um, in preparation for this, I, uh, once I'd completed all my notes, I actually listened to the capes on the couch. Me too. Um, episode about Lavana. Um, and something mm-hmm. that they, that they said is that it's, I think it's partly her stubbornness, but like, also we have to keep in mind that like her parents, we're basically absentee. Like they're basically very absentee, very uninvolved. Yeah. Uninvolved absentee and did basically did not care about mm-hmm. her and Channery and her and Channery, you know, deal with that in their own ways. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, so Lavana doesn't know what love even looks like. If we want to be honest, I mean, she doesn't even know She's never experienced it. She's never even experienced familial love. It's really sad to see because I know that those people do exist in the world. But even even for me, who's experienced as much loss as I have in my, you know, you know, 30 years on on the planet, like it, it's still hard for me to wrap my brain around that. Yeah, and I get that. We we hypothesized before that Everett is simply the person, that it's, it's not necessarily Everett himself. If someone else had given her that level of affection, she might act similarly. Um, so, for example, if it had been the head thaumaturge who did it, you know, she may have acted that way. What do you guys um, think of that that theory? Do you think that's true? That if someone else had given her presents and been kind to her and showed her just a little bit of humanity, she might have also fallen in love with them and then Everett would have never been involved in the first place? I think it would have depended definitely on the social status of the person mm-hmm. because I, I don't think it could have been a maid because she doesn't even remember her maid's names. Right. But for some reason she has detailed memory of Everett. Um, so I would think it would have to be either somebody who is in the houses um, or someone who um, maybe doesn't have a strong opinion of Channery. Um, but yeah, no, I think... I think, unfortunately, like, 
Everett got the short stick and was at the wrong place at the right time mm-hmm. um, to be the one who she latched onto. Yeah, I think I think it it you know going on that theory like it wouldn't it would it couldn't be a maid or somebody like of a yeah. servant class. I mean, obviously, you know, Everett is a guard, so that's above a servant, but also like the guards are with the Royal family basically at all times. So I think even if it had been a different guard, um, she could have latched onto that. Um, but I think, I mean, thaumaturge, anybody from the families, um, if, if they had been kind to her, um, the, it, it probably could have been anybody. I mean, I think on some level, it would have been uh, fun if it was, you know, a Sybil Lavana romance. That would have been fun, too. You know, um, I would really, really love that, considering the dynamic the two of them already have. Yeah. Uh, that may have been a missed opportunity, but it wouldn't have worked for pretty much the overall story, so I get that, too. Yeah, true. I mean, it would have been better if it was, like, a secret love romance, but, you know, it's not. Right. Um, I will say, though, that in my notes I have um, that, you know, Lavana knows that he isn't the Everett, like, because because he's now this, like, hollow, like, shell of a person. Um, mm-hmm. Is that, like, Lavana knows that he isn't the Everett that she fell in love with and that, like, it, she doesn't know whether it's because of the grief or because she's glamoring him, like she doesn't, she can't tell the difference because mm-hmm. um, he didn't really have. She time. doesn't know him differently. Well, true, she doesn't know him differently, but also he hasn't really. You, you can, it's hard to separate the two because he hasn't really had time to grieve. Yeah, and um, with the. Sorry, this can be a blooper because I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> well, um, so we can move on a little bit, right? We've been discussing it. So they are in bed and a servant comes in and catches them. But Lavana couldn't care less. And Everett bolts up because he notices the blood on the sheets. And this is our trigger warning. Um. So, you know, skip ahead a good five to ten minutes, because I feel like this is going to be a pretty long discussion. This is where Everett realizes that he just took her virginity. And this is where I want to discuss rape. Yeah. I feel like, and Quentin and I talked about this the other day. Quentin is in the military, and the military has pretty strict rules about fraternization between um, those of high rank and those of lower rank. And the main reason for that is, can you ever give consent to someone who has that much power and authority over you. In this situation, could Everett ever give her consent? Knowing that the result in him denying her could be treason, banishment, execution, even repercussions that could affect Winter herself. What would Everett's choices have been to say, no, thanks, I don't want to do this. And he did try for Countless times he tried and it didn't work. But in this situation, it has now escalated to the point where they've had sex. And I don't think it's consensual. No, I, I don't. I don't think that you could consider it consensual. 
And I had never thought of that until you and I had had discussions about it initially, like going back and reading it as deeply as you do. You think about things, you think about things different and, um, yeah, no, he really didn't, he didn't have a say. He didn't have, um, not only with her being like the person in charge with her being the princess and having that control that she does also with her ability to make him literally do whatever she wants to do. Um, she can make him have relations with her. Um, and then he might not even like remember that they did until after the fact, like he seems kind of surprised by it. Yeah. It's like we said, he was probably in a daze, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if yeah. you think about how hollow he was before, yeah. just, just because she was glamoring him, I mean, you can come to the assumption that he was almost basically, it was almost like in our day and age, if you were to continuously drug somebody so that they're in a, a continuous stupor, just, you know, kind of going through the motions, not necessarily understanding what they're doing. Um, Which is why when women or men are intoxicated or inebriated, it's considered rape. They're not in a state of mind or a frame of mind where they can give consent. If you can't drive a car, if you can't, you know, talk under oath, if you can't be trusted with information because you're inebriated or intoxicated, how could you possibly give consent to, to your body or actions that are done with it? Right, right. And I mean, and something that I wrote down is that, like, it's crazy to think that because they don't really discuss whether glamoring some someone, I mean, and, and this is something that they kind of talk about a little bit when they talk about um, uh, the thaumaturge that kills her parents mm -hmm. and, you know, and so forth that like, whether like glamoring someone is, cons and, and then if their actions are then considered to be their own, or is the person that glamored them responsible because they made them, because it's not like that person is consenting to complete whatever those actions are because they, they don't, they might not even know that they were, you know, told to do that thing. It's almost like being hypnotized. Yeah. I, I'm confused though. Whose parents got killed by a thaumaturge? Um, it's very vague, but Wolf mentions in um, book three that someone as young as nine was convicted of murder, um, of of murder by manipulation. I think. Oh, okay. It's very vague. Like, there's a hint at it, but we're not given a lot of information. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, just like the fact that like, it's so crazy to think that like, I mean, and, and, and I mean, just granted, like, you know, some of these things Marissa wasn't able to wholly flesh out. I, I mean, when we're right, it's we're, young adult, we have some restrictions, right? Exactly. I mean, right. but I mean, 
just just even even since this book has been written, the things that have happened in the world, um, the whole mm-hmm. Me Too movement and and all of that. And 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 we saw so much during that where, you know, it's these it's this power dynamic. So, I mean, it's basically this huge power dynamic that um, that, you know, that we that like, you know, exists subconsciously, you know, it's there. But at the same time, it's one of those things. It's like you don't actually think about the repercussions of that until somebody comes out and says that they've been hurt by it. I, th- I think. I mean, I I read this what three four years ago, not even Morgan. Two thousand two thousand eighteen. Yeah, and and the first time that I read it, I didn't even like make the connection that this yeah, like no, was not I, consensual. Um. So it yeah. it's very it's very interesting like just how much like our perspectives can shift in between yeah. like readings. Yeah, and that's a lot of it's going to come down to not necessarily like what happened here, but reading something where either it doesn't age well or the meaning behind that has shifted. Um. I think in this case, it has just made Lavana more of a predator, like more. It's given us more of the understanding of just how much of a manipulative predator she really is. Right. For sure. Uh, she even like doesn't care that like Channery knows. Nope. She couldn't care less. She she couldn't care less because she knows that Channery, like even though Channery cares, she doesn't care um, because she's, you know, she's not going to stop. Channery cares, Channery cares about the level of seriousness of the relationship. Yeah. Channery does not want them to have a long-term relationship where they get married and this man becomes a part of the royal family. That is Channery's concern. Channery herself is pretty promiscuous as we've been led to believe and so that part doesn't necessarily matter to her yeah it's 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 simply the idea that this man could be a part of their family when to her he's nothing more than a guard that's how channery sees him he's a guard yeah yeah well and she sees them channery views them basically as playthings. absolutely at her bidding yeah what she wants and it seems from um, how her parents' situation was, mm-hmm. uh, like, this puts me in, like, historical romance brain or thinking of, like, marriage of convenience. It's just a marriage in name. It is more of a political contract than it is, like, a love match. That's how they see marriage it's advantages it's alliances it's opportunities that you can use to improve the crown's relationships further the crown's investments endorsements economy access to resources um combining monarchies yeah absolutely and later on in the chapter Lavana says that's what she's going to do to winter she's like you don't need to marry me off i'm going to let you use winter later yeah so, well, so Lavana does understand that aspect. She just doesn't want it applied to her because she so desperately wants Everett. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's very much, um, that unrequited, um, unrequited one-sided love be, I mean, you can just, you can just tell just because she loves him so earnestly. Mm hmm. Does she though? She thinks that she does. I, I she, mean, I mean, she's very delusional, but in her mind, she does love him. Yeah. And I mean, I mean it in to her, what she knows of love, which is, is very little. She considers mm-hmm. herself to love him. Um, yes, I, that I will con- that I will agree with. Yeah, I, I I don't think that you know, like in in the terms of somebody loving someone else and being in a relationship with them, I, I she doesn't understand that. She doesn't understand that it's it's two people and the two people have to agree to that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about how Everett reacts to the situation. Everett immediately apologizes. And then he's also worried about his daughter because he left his daughter with the nanny the entire night. And Lavana doesn't care. She's making jokes about breakfast. She's like, I'll pay the nanny. Who cares? And Everett reveals that he has been miserable. And he even tried to leave. He went to Channery and begged to leave. He was even packed and ready to go. He was going to go to the lumber sector and learn a new trade, take winter and get out of there, go anywhere but here. But Channery was like, no, I'm having way too much fun watching my sister make a fool of herself. So you can stay here. Yeah. And that's when Lavana is like, well, I don't control you. You want me. And he's like, you're wearing my wife's face. Yeah. And this is where he calls her out on her manipulation. She's like, well, it's my face now. Yeah. And and, I mean, just those words that Marissa uses to describe like his feelings um, in those moments. I mean, mortified, distraught, frozen. He's like, he's like, what have I done? Yeah. And, um, and like, she thinks that she can just get away with being like, Oh, I'll pay for the nanny. It's no big deal. Like, Oh, it's fine. She doesn't have a understanding of consequence. So she doesn't, to where, like, a consequence could have, like, a ripple effect. If, for some reason, a parent was not to come home and stayed out overnight when the nanny was not planning on it, what if the nanny had kids somewhere for a time limit and couldn't go home? Like, it's not just her that these things affect. Like, she doesn't have understanding if the nanny's kids are with the grandma or the babysitter and the babysitter has plans then how's the babysitter going to get to other job or other plans or i mean there's so many moving parts that just don't even occur to lavana because well why would they in her station in life and why on earth would it ever even occur to her to have a nanny she didn't even it didn't even occur to her to ask everett what he named his daughter yeah yeah, no, that that part was wild when he's like, well, what about Winter? Who is Winter? Uh, yeah, and she was like, daughter. And he even said that. He was like, you claim to be in love with me, but you don't know anything about my daughter? Yeah. And here's, here he talks about love again. She says, what does it matter? I love you. And he says, you don't even know what that word means. I wish I could make you understand that. Whatever this fantasy is that you've built in your head, 
none of it is real. You are not my wife. And I, I need to go be with my daughter. The only part of her I have left. You know, something that I wrote down was that like Lavana's cavalier attitude is the part that, I mean, I think that I hate the most other than the rape. I mean, it's just because she's like, she has no concern or anything like that for anybody else's well-being other than, you know, her and her own. And I mean, again, like you said, why should she? But I mean, like, it just seems so ridiculous. Like, and then, and then on top of that, she's like, I don't control you. Mm, But you do. I mean, she, she doesn't even believe herself when she says that like he, um, and, and something that I have written down is, uh, I don't control you. He looked at her finally, but his expression was bewildered. What do you think this is? I'm, I barely, she dug her nails into her palms. You want me as much as I want you. I see it in your eyes every time you touch me. Mm-hmm. And that's right before he's like, but you're wearing my wife's face. Like, she thinks that she's like, she's like, I see that you want me. And like, you're delusional, honey. Like, nobody, nobody wants you. I'm sorry. <laughs> so she sees, she sees what she wants to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But even, even then, we know that she sees, like, he looks blank to her. So she's even lying, she's lying to him in manipulating him, but she's also lying to herself in what she actually knows of his reactions. Like, she's writing it off. She says it's part of his, you know, she says that it's just him trying to be a gentleman and trying to be loyal to Solstice's memory. It has nothing to do with her. Yeah. And I feel like this is an important time to like, like we were talking earlier with the rape and whatnot with, um, consent and letting the other person voice their own concerns and not making assumptions for the other person. Just because someone didn't say no, doesn't mean yes. And just because you think somebody wants to wants to do something but they're saying no like no or playing hard to get unless they give you a definitive yes it is always no the answer is always no mm-hmm. yeah if you have to question it if you have to think about do i have consent you don't yeah 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 And I mean, uh, the crazy part for me, too, is, you know, during this whole conversation is with with the talk about, you know, how how he, you know, is like you're wearing my wife's face. You're being manipulative. It's like Mm -hmm. it's, you know, in in Everett's eyes from somebody who's who's lost, you know, their partner. And now not only is he a single parent, he has to work in order to be able to provide for him and his daughter and him in mm-hmm. winter but um that puts a lot of stress on you and then on top of that you're trying to grieve the death of your your wife and then you go back to work and it's like your boss has your wife's face 
And not even just take care of his daughter. This is a newborn daughter without a mother. Correct. He yeah. is learning all of this by himself. He's doing all of this. I mean, he might have help from like friends and like he said, the nanny. But essentially, late night feedings, that's him. Making formula because there's no breast milk as an option, that's him. Uh, working with the baby and, and developing a connection and bonding to her so that they can communicate and hit those milestones together that they need to, that is all him. And that has got to be just absolutely overwhelming. And at the same time, dealing with all this other stuff, and he's probably got very little sleep involved as well. And then the time that he is awake, he's either with his daughter or being controlled by Lavana. I mean, it's it's almost like a um, it's almost a state of mind that he doesn't have. I wouldn't be surprised if years later he looked back on these this time in his life and couldn't remember anything big or major or even uh, severe details. It would all be very hazy, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean he. I'm sure he has to even be questioning himself because she is gaslighting him. Absolutely. So he, he even has to question, like, if he's look back, looking back at it, does he ask himself, did, did I really want her? Did I really, did, subconsciously, did I do these things? Because that's what she keeps telling him and she keeps putting that in his mind. And his defenses can only go so far with protecting himself. Um, and protecting his brain and his his thoughts and his beliefs. Because uh, you can't do anything to control the, to protect yourself against the gift. No. Yeah. There, there is nothing that he can do in his own self-defense. And uh, even yeah, if he wanted to, she takes it a step further because she says, you will marry me. Mm-hmm. It's not even a question. It's you're going to marry me and you're going to do it tonight. And he, he starts to ask her, he starts to say, please don't do this. Not again. And then she's like, you can bring your daughter. I'll find an officiant. We'll go to the Sun Chapel. She's ignoring him. Yeah, She would be his wife. He could no longer say that she wasn't. She would be the mother to his child. And all the rumors would stop for no one would dare speak ill of the princess's husband, the queen's brother-in-law. She's not paying attention to the right things. Yeah. And I mean, even, I mean, even when she just chokes out and she's like, I love you, Everett. Like, she doesn't even understand what that word means. But I mean, how could she with the trauma that she, sh- that she suffered? But I mean, the like, even, even when, you know, she says that you will marry me. And that, like, she's like, she's like, she stops him from talking and she's like, I'll take care of everything. And he only has to show up. Oh, but bring winter. She should be there. And it's like, she's a month old. She doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't give an F. Mm -mm. And it, it even says that she's prepared to glamour him if he says no. Yeah. Already she was feeling for the energy that surrounded him, ready to bend him to her will if he denied her. This was for his own good. This was the only way to solidify their family, their happiness. So kind of along with what um, was said here just a minute ago, I wrote, I wrote in my notes around this area, um, hurt people hurt people. Um, yeah. So, like, she... The things that she does, um, it 
and the things no. the things that she chooses to do, uh, it's very unfortunate. the The whole situation is unfortunate, but um, just because she had a sad life, that does not excuse the things that she has done. No, it doesn't. So let's move on. Everett says that he feels sorry for her. And this is something I want to talk about. You have a chance to find love, princess. Real love. Don't throw that away on me. I beg you. This is a different tactic than he's tried before. He's acknowledging that she thinks she loves him, but that it's not real. But that if they marry, it won't be an opportunity for her. She'll never have that opportunity again. And I think that her response to that is very childish. I mean, she's 16, but it's very childish. I already found love. I have shared my bed with him, and tonight he will be my husband. Again, her response is, she's not thinking about what's being said to her. She's thinking about, what can I say to keep convincing him? She's not actively listening to what he's saying. She's actively thinking about how she's going to respond. Yeah. yeah. And I think what's interesting about when she says that when you know, when she's like, you know, I've already found love. I've already, you know, he's been in bed with me and he will be my husband. And then I love what it says like after that where she's like she attempted a smile, her confidence was waning and she wasn't sure like she wasn't even sure. She's like She's starting to feel his rejection. Right. And and but like she doesn't want rejection but she also doesn't want to force him force him but like mm -hmm. she's already forced him to have sex with her and she's already forced him to stay away from his daughter well i don't think that was her intent i don't think she intentionally tried to separate him from his daughter i think his daughter is a very small afterthought in her brain much like with the wedding where she was like oh right you have a daughter well she can come too but it, intent does not negate harm no it doesn't i just don't think it's i i don't think i agree that intent does not negate harm I just think that with Lavana, it's it's all interconnected because she doesn't think about anything besides what she wants. She doesn't see the bigger picture. She doesn't see the emotions of other people. She doesn't even see the existence of other people. Right. Yeah. Well, and but I but I think by by saying that, like what what I think what I was trying to get at is the, the fact that if you know, yes, that wasn't her intent, but but at the same time, it's almost like, I mean, we're, we're talking about like a, you know, textbook case of basically Stockholm syndrome. Like she's forcing, she's forcing him to basically, she's brainwashing at him into believing that he belongs with her. And so, you know, she's also brainwashing herself into believing true. that they belong together. True. I mean, and, and even though like, even though she, feels that he she believes that he might reject her when she says marry me or that you will marry me mm -hmm. that that even like she doesn't want to but at the same time like even as she knows that she doesn't want him to reject her that she wants him to accept her because of who she is mm -hmm. um 
she also already knows that like she's gonna do whatever she has to do to get him yeah yeah she's feeling rejected and vulnerable while she's waiting for him to respond to her marriage proposal and she starts to send her thoughts to him and he shudders did you guys catch that isn't that crazy like so he can slightly feel it when it starts happening yeah but then like once it overtakes him he he loses the ability to i would say yeah 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 Yeah, because she does she does like say that he shuddered and she wondered if he knew she was doing it and then she and then she stops yeah yeah so it fastens forward. Now we're at their wedding. I want to read the opening ceremony. It's it's always very interesting to me to read and learn about different marriage ceremonies. The officiant wrapped the gold ribbon around Lavana's wrist, explaining the significance of their union, the magnitude of the occasion as he tied the knot. He then moved to Everett, taking a second ribbon from the dish on the altar and knotting it around Everett's wrist. Lavana watched closely as the shimmering ribbon settled against his dark skin. His arm was so much broader than hers, making her bones seem bird-like in comparison. So this is very interesting to me. It reminds me of um, what's called hand fasting, which is where you tie the ribbons around the wrists and the hands during the reading of the vows. Um, Did it remind you guys of any other types of wedding ceremonies? I literally wrote Scottish hand fasting. nice yeah i mean (laughs) i was like i was like are they gonna pull the um because in some in some instances of hand fasting that i've seen like they can't untie their hands until after consummation oh okay mm -hmm. or it's not not necessarily that they can't but it's thought to be like a good luck thing like Right. It provides longevity to the marriage. Yeah. The one I can think of for for my culture, for Roma, is is it's always centered around, like, bread. <laughs> so, like, the bride and the groom will each take a piece of bread and, and place a drop of their blood on the bread, and then they have to, like, exchange the bread. We didn't do this at our wedding. This is a very, like, old very 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 old culture tradition that we don't do i mean there are some i think my grandparents at their wedding they did that but then like you're also supposed to like share the bread with other people the rest of the bread not the pieces with the not the pieces with the blood okay okay it usually centers around food or bread there's even like a in some ceremonies, they don't kiss. They'll they'll dance together and share moments, but like a, a first intimate kiss is meant to be saved until they're alone during their their wedding night. That's not something that they have to share with the people around them. So, uh, just it's just very interesting to me. Always learning about like other wedding traditions that people have. I mean, I know like in uh, in Scottish hand fasting that they that they. S- uh, they slit their hands. Um, they slit their hands what? and they put their hands together, and then and then the ribbons are tied. Um, and like blood brothers. <laughs> I mean, I mean, kind of, but but the whole the whole wording that goes that they that they repeat to each other in um, in Gael- in Scottish Gaelic um, is like you are blood of my blood and bone of my bone. Um, basically okay. it is, you know, you, you guys are becoming one. Um, and, uh, so that's, so that's like a, a very, um, 
passed down very Celtic Gaelic um, tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, I was going to try to equate like the eating of the bread with like sharing a cake. Yeah. Um, where like, you, you feed each other that first bite yeah, of cake. You feed, you feed each other. And that might have been where it, uh, where it led to, you know? Yeah. Um, I did smash a uh, cupcake in my husband's face at our uh, reception. That was fun. Nice. And then he, like, he, like, chased me around the yard. <laughs> we, we, we actually have a video of it, if anybody wants to see that. We both um, thought the whole, like, smashing cake thing was really silly, so we agreed not to do it, and then Quentin shoved it down the front of my dress. <laughs> So we agreed not to do it, but apparently, yeah, I'm talking shit about you, but apparently some of us just, I don't think he forgot. I think it was like a plan all along. He was like, got you. (laughs) (laughs) I just love like how you only like he, you can tell that he just stood in the doorway. And I just know. stared at you because because you hear the door open, and then you hear the and then and then I just hear the door like almost slam close. Like he's like, "How rude!" Um, it's all, but but I mean, it, what it sounds like is that he was like, you know, had his fingers crossed behind his back, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, we're not gonna do that." Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you're right, Bethany. That's told. And what's funny is it was him. It was him that thought it was um, childish childish (laughs) i mean i mean i guess i guess in in hindsight you know it it, it's a little it's a little fun little thing that you guys you know mess with each other about and i mean i wasn't at morgan and ryan's wedding because they wanted to have it in california but whatever um (laughs) (laughs) um, but i mean i definitely would have been way more mad at ryan i think than than morgan was just because they had blue cupcakes so it was blue Uh, frosting everything was white Our, our whole wedding uh cake was white so um that wasn't a concern at least but yeah for for sure I definitely feel that and then you know and and we can move on again because I could talk forever about my wedding right (laughs) (laughs) I did some math here right we've often talked about like how old Lavana is and how old she's pretending to be and things like that. So right now, it's April of 190 E. So Kai would be one year old. And then Cinder will be born in like a year and a half to two years. So that gives us some frame of reference of when this took place. Yeah. So Lavana does feel the distance between them. And she's very annoyed because, like, Winter is crying and the other – there's a boy there, Garrison Clay's son. And he's playing with Winter and they're annoying each other. And, again, Lavada only thinks about being married. She doesn't think about the wedding because she didn't have a ring. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Everett has two. I just love – I just love that um, uh, the way that she, like – like already that we can tell that like while Lavana says that she'll love winter, like 
she, already she's annoyed yeah, by her already existence. She's, yeah, she's annoyed by her ex, her by her mere existence, like by the fact that she is ruining her wedding because she is crying because that's what babies do. Heads up, Lavana. Come on. Do we think that if it had been a boy that looked exactly like Everett, she would have had different reactions? No. No. I don't. I I don't because I think um she sees she either way she sees the baby as an inconvenience at that time because the baby chose to disrupt the wedding. Yeah. Yes. So how dare how dare they? So whether it had been a boy and a girl or a girl in that instance, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. Yeah, she likes the she likes the idea of being a mother. Yeah. She doesn't she doesn't understand what that means. She likes the idea of being a mother because Solstice was a mother, not because she wants to be a mother, but because she wants to be like Solstice. And she only wants to be like Solstice because Everett loved Solstice and so she's like, Well, that's what I gotta do to get my love. Yeah. Well and it's all very complicated. Well and and I think on you know, on both of y'all's point, I think that she, I think yes and no to the whole, um, would she love the baby if it looked like Everett? I think, I think yes. And I think no, just because if it looked like Everett, she maybe could get past the fact that because winter looks just like soul, that, she is a constant reminder for Lavana that Everett had a relationship and made a baby with Solstice. Um, and it's, it's almost like that, you know, the, the typical evil stepmother trope in all of the Disney and all of the fairy tales is that, right. Is that the evil stepmother does not like the child because one, because she feels like it's an inconvenience to her, but also because it's like on some level, it's proof that like he might not love the new wife as much as he loved his previous wife just because. I think it's also that he's going to love the child and she wants all of his love yeah. for herself. Yeah, he doesn't. She doesn't want him to split her her love right. between but his love between more than just her but um, exactly but I mean I feel like that's a pretty like thinking about it now it's a pretty typical like motive behind the stepmother you know trope in trope. uh in in fairy tales yeah I recently actually just watched a YouTube video where uh they compared uh like nine different versions of Snow White throughout the years and how, um, like, all these, like, TV movies and movies, uh, dis- uh, like, chose to display the stepmother trope in the Snow White um, series and how they fleshed out that character. It was, mm-hmm. it was very interesting. Um, but that was one of the things that they said is that it's, it all depends on, like, what the motivations were behind um, – behind why she does not want to share her attention, whether it's a power grab or it's a, 
um, like here where it's, she doesn't want to share her love. Right. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was quite interesting, but I would just like to say we, I mean, we've, we get our introducing our, our introductions to like the whole clay family and I just love it. And our little Joaquin, Jason, Jason. Um, <laughs> I forgot about Joaquin. <laughs> I literally wrote that down. I said, why, 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 you, gotta, why you gotta call me out like that? Um, like, I, that wasn't, it. you weren't alone. Remember we had, we had someone I, I, send in a letter saying, Hey, I did that too. I know. So at but least like, you're not alone. I, just, I know. I just remember listening to the audiobook for the first time. Who's Jason? <laughs> no, I remember doing that too because I always thought it was Justin. So I was like, who the hell is Jason? And I remember looking it up and being like, that's not how you say that. <laughs> when I when I interviewed Marissa, I even told her that. I was like, I thought it was, like, a really cool, like, French version or something. She's like, no, I just thought maybe on the moon they might spell it different. <laughs> I love her. Oh, my God. Well, then why wouldn't she spell winter differently? Like, why wouldn't she? Because winter's winter already an unusual name, maybe? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, um, but literally, like, in my notes, I wrote, our introduction to the Clays, exclamation point, little Jason, Joaquin, comma, Joaquin, comma, Justin. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, for sure. I mean, I think I just do it just to, you know, to mess with Morgan because I love her. <laughs> You know, I could have, I could have never told anyone about that and just taken it to my grave. Could have. And I'm regretting the decision not to now. Could have. <laughs> could have being the key word there, but now you have a loving best friends who, who. Speaking of, speaking of loving best friends, Garrison is not happy. Do you like that transition no. there? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was perfect. That was perfect, that was honestly. <laughs> Garrison is fighting with Everett, trying to talk him out of it. Good luck, dude. Right? He doesn't, but it's nice that Everett has somebody looking out for him. Like, the fact that Garrison, like, he knows no matter what he says, Everett doesn't have a choice. But right. he's still trying, like, dude, we... We can, we'll figure something out. Like he, <laughs> he's like, we'll fake your death. We'll run away. Like, what? Yeah, I got like, some ideas. <laughs> he's like, I'll go to prison yeah. for you for killing Lavana, basically. Right? Like, I'll have my wife pretend to poison you. Like, you know, yeah. wh what can we do here? Yeah. So Channery originally denied him. Yeah. Originally, when he asked to leave, Channery said no. Do we think if Everett had gone to Channery and been like, dude, she wants me to marry her tonight. It's not okay. You have to help me. Do you think she Channery would have been like, oh, hell no. This has gone too far. I'm not letting them get married. She would have She would have killed had Everett killed. Yeah. yeah I, you don't think she would have found another way to put a stop to it? She would have just had him executed and be done with it? Why, why extend... Like, why send the additional effort for a uh -huh. guard and his child? Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think I think just because of the way that Channery reacts, um, once she does find out that, like, 
that and on top of the fact that like she thinks it's a door like she she's having fun because she's having fun watching the chaos that it's causing because she's just a chaotic she also thinks Levana's making an ass of herself which she finds highly amusing well exactly i mean she's very chaotic like if we were going to put her in a category, she's definitely a very chaotic evil. But yeah, she's chaos driven. Yeah, she's she's the Regina George, right? She like she just wants to watch the world burn. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But I think I again on that line that Morgan said. I mean, it's like yes, she denied him his resignation, but I think again because because of what Lavana says to herself. That she doesn't, mm-hmm. while she doesn't care what Channery thinks, like, Channery could easily have Everett killed because even though it it brings up this, oh, well, she was glamoring me, it's still, that doesn't, that doesn't matter because, because basically in the eyes of, quote unquote, you know, in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of Channery. In the eyes of the court. Yeah, in, in the eyes of Channery, as as the divine ruler, she, you know, she would, it wouldn't, it doesn't matter that there's, you know, a 10-year age gap. And that, Do we think that, sorry, you just distracted yeah. me. Do we think that they consider themselves divine rulers? Oh, 100%. Yeah. They don't seem to have a deity. Well. Or a religion of any kind. Well, I, I, fr- just based on um, the the fact that um, I think it says it like in the first part of of Ferris that either in the first part of Ferris or in one of the other books when they're talking about how the Lunars discovered that they had a gift, Cyrus Blackburn, who is the who is like the head of the the Blackburn line, he you know he basically declared himself a king and that he had divine divine right basically and and again when when somebody does that i mean it's just like in our day and time is that they they don't have to prove themselves they're the king they've just made themselves the king and they're saying that they're the divine ruler if you want to keep your head if you want to you know keep your life you're not going to disagree okay yeah well and i think it's more of a with what she's saying like not that they are the divinity, but they are, they see their powers yeah. as, they see their powers as basically their, their, I guess their religion is, I know that's not the correct terminology, but that's the best my mind is equating it to. Um, if someone from a, if a random person was to be on the throne, they would lose their powers. Yeah, yeah, that's a superstition like the, they the have. Society, yeah. So, mm-hmm. which um, no doubt was created by the Blackburn family to ensure the longevity of their control. Exactly. So, so what I'm getting is because divine ruler means that it was God's choice, God's right to these. God gave the right to these people that they need to be in charge. So, what I'm getting from you guys is that there's not a God necessarily, but because in some way the universe gave them these powers, that's what makes them divine rulers. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I agree with that. That does make sense. Yeah. So, back to the wedding. Everett is still wearing his wedding band from Solstice because she died six minutes ago (laughs) and refuses to take it off 
but says that he will wear both of them. Yeah. I feel like that that's a callback. Like, even though this is a prequel, like, that's a callback to her, like... I was going to say the same. She had the, two, she had the two rings. And she said one of them was her true wedding band, and now we know which one she meant, I think. Yeah. 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 Up until now, the whole thing didn't feel real to her. She was worried he wouldn't come. She was worried that it would get postponed or stopped somehow. And she's not very happy about seeing his ring from Solstice. But she thinks, well, I could force him to take it off, but I'm just so happy. Let me just be married. Winter cries. Garrison's son is still there messing with her. They have a gentle kiss, and now they are husband and wife. And throughout this entire time, Everett remains as stoic as possible, even during their vows. Even during their kiss, the whole time, he is very withdrawn. Yeah. Well, and and I think I think the the irony that Lavana is distracted by winter crying, and then she doesn't even like it's like she has no concept also of what like a wedding is because she's probably actually never been to a wedding, which is, you know, ironic in the first place, but that she doesn't even expect Everett to kiss her because she's annoyed and upset that, uh, that winter is crying and try attempting to ruin her wedding. Yeah. That's why you don't allow babies at weddings. I mean, she wouldn't know. She doesn't know that. <laughs> True. So, okay, I have a I have a side story as to why you don't allow babies or small children at weddings. Um, so, when I was a baby, uh, I guess my mom, I was a flower girl at a wedding, and um, they when they were playing the music for her to walk down the aisle, I apparently thought. Beauty and the Beast was starting, so I stood up and was like, "It's the Beast!" So, oh my gosh, Morgan! <laughs> if anyone was not aware of my Beauty and the Beast obsession, it started young. <laughs> um, you know what's really funny? This is also another that poor woman. You just ruined her. If that's on video somewhere. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I wish. I wish. Honestly, <laughs> well, I mean. That would be that would be hilarious. I would just watch that part over and over again. It's the beast. Um, I have this. I didn't. I wasn't calling her the beast. I just thought it was like the beast intro music. But but still, like I'm sure that that's exactly what she thought. Um, but that that reminds me of. Um, I have this very vivid memory of being at um my aunt and uncle's wedding when I was seven or eight and I wasn't even in the wedding. I think I just passed out like the bulletins. <laughs> like I wasn't even an usher. I just passed out the bulletins of like everybody walked into the wedding. Um, but then because we were family, we got to sit like, you know, front, front row. And my brother is like four and we go like, he's quiet you know, we're well behaved. We're quiet the whole wedding ceremony. And then sure. uh, as, as you know, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I can only assume that's what I remember. That doesn't mean that it's accurate. 
<laughs> Ruth's like, I remember being a great kid. I mean, I probably was. <laughs> we always see ourselves in the best light when we look back, right? Right. Um, but they, like, we're, you know, so, like, we're well be- being well-behaved as far as I can remember. And then they get to the very end, and the pastor or minister says, uh, you may kiss, you may kiss the bride. And so my uncle goes and kisses my aunt and my brother, you know, cause obviously it's quiet because everybody's paying attention. My brother goes set yells in the middle of them kissing each other. And I mean, I mean, granted again, He's a four-year-old. He doesn't know any better. He just thinks that people kissing is disgusting. Um, and, yeah, so, like, I don't know that my aunt and uncle have, like, video of their wedding because it was, you know, 1998. But um, if they did, I would laugh every single time that that happens because I'm sure it's on the video. Right. So let's talk about our chapter titles for this one. Morgan, what did you have? Scars by Papa Roach. Um, and that's not even like an allusion to Lavana. It is actually more of a representation of um, Everett because one of the lines is the song, I tear my heart open, I sew myself shut. Um, and just, like, listening to that song and listening to that lyric in my, like, junior high, high school emo phase, um, it just, the amount of pain that he's putting himself through and everything he has to do, like, he's going to do what he has to do to survive for his baby girl. And if it means tearing his heart out and sewing it back up, like, that's what he's going to do. So Yeah. And then the second one you had was Sweet Little Lies by Below. Oh, yes. Yeah, so that one is basically, like, Sweet Little Lies. LaVonna is lying to him. She's lying to herself. Like, mm-hmm. they're just, they're, they're sweet. You, you love me. It's, it's sweet. They're sweet little lies. So th- that was my two. What about you, Ruthie? Um, so my, so I think that when I, um, when I did my notes, I broke them up wrong because I had that whole part as part of the second part of the notes. But oh, um, but it's fine because my both of my chapter titles and my quotes work for both. So, so what did you have as the first part? Did you take notes on pages one fifteen to one twenty? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I did. Okay, yeah, okay. I did. I just i I broke it up. When uh, I think on the on the the crown before that. Oh yeah, it's hard so, to separate it when she didn't give us chapters. Well, and and on top of that, I was reading on my um, because I don't have a physical copy of um, of Ferris, so I was reading on my like on my Fire tablet, um, and mm-hmm. because it's smaller than like the actual size of the book it doesn't do pages it just does locations because it oh so like i couldn't tell like where the pages end like what page officially that it was okay. so but it's fine because 
um, my chapter titles work for both. Okay, we'll go ahead with your chapter titles for this one. Um, so my chapter title for this one was uh, Beating Me Up by Rachel Platten. Um, and technically, it's um, like a um, it's a song about like how, uh, you know, she feels like she's treating her spouse incorrectly. But I feel like it can go... Um, it can go both ways for Lavana and Everett. So my favorite lines from it are basically, um, I can't let you go. You're the chemical you're racing through me. My heart just pounds, pounds, pounds. Um, and, and then the bridge basically is, um, I won't let you get the best of me. Um, how did my heart become my enemy? And I was just like, oh, Everett, that's so Everett. Like, <laughs> it is. Uh, and then, but then, like, later in the song, or later in the song, it's it says, who turned the lights down? Who took my flashlight? What does my heart sound like at my birth tonight? And it's like, it's like, oh, like, just listening to it, I was like, uh, God, no. Um but then, um, but then the chorus is basically, it's getting louder, louder. Every time I think about you, I'll be better off without you. I wish my heart would stop, wish my heart would stop beating me up. Um, and then, and then Rachel Platten has these amazing vocals. So she's like singing, oh, 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 but you know, um, <laughs> um, I am a total Rachel Platten stan. So, uh, love her uh she's fantastic um but yeah so like just just the fact that like all of those things are just like combined into one I'm just like oh god I just feel it it just hurts it hurts I feel I so I so feel for uh for Everett (laughs) um so what was yours so mine Mine was I Will Possess Your Heart by Death Cab for Cutie. And as much as I love all of your song choices, I'm not sure I could find better lyrics for Lavana's delusional state of mind. (laughs) How I wish you could see the potential, the potential of you and me. It's like a book elegantly bound, but in a language that you just can't read. You gotta spend some time, love. You gotta spend some time with me. And I know that you'll find love. I will possess your heart. I mean, I feel like Morgan's is like a a combination of Lavana Everett, and then mine is just a pure like Everett point of view, and then and then mine's all Lavana. Yeah, like honestly, like <laughs> they're all the right answer. Everybody, this is the <laughs> most disturbing line from the whole song in connection with Lavana, and then we'll move on. You reject my advances and desperate pleas. I won't let you let me down so easily. Yeah. Yeah, he does try to tell her no nine million times, and she's like, yeah, that doesn't really work on me. Yeah. I mean, in 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 Rachel Platten's song, she literally, the song literally starts, and she says, we threw words like they were sharp knives, felt like we tripped over a landmine. You said you lo- we lost love. You made your mind up, and I just got quiet. My body went numb. Like, 
So Patreon members will get to vote on chapter titles for which one we pick. Ruth, do you want to say your quote? Yes. Yeah, I, I since I did my notes so late, I was like, I'm not going to put them in the group chat because I was like, I don't want to have to type it out. I'm already going to have to write it out in my notes. So I was like, I'm going to save myself the trouble. But then I was like, but then I'm going to have to I'll hurt let Beth- Bethany. I'll let Bethany type it out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Y'all, y'all copy and paste from the ebook. What are you doing? Right? <laughs> well, okay. Morgan is like, you're messing up, kid. Okay, well. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, you know, Ruth over here writes, handwrites all of her notes. Um, which does, um, not to, you know, throw shade or anything. As do I, and then I, no, I mean, I, I handwrite all of mine, but then I type all of them up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well no, I'm it's very time consuming. No, I'm not throwing shade at you. I'm throwing shade at Morgan. Uh, because, oh. <laughs> because, you know, that, that way, because I write down all of my quotes and then if I have to type them up for Bethany, I've already got them written down so I don't forget them. But, you know. I love you, Morgan. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, what okay, was so your... <laughs> so, my, my quote was, uh, whatever this fantasy is that you've built in your head, none of it is real. You are not my wife, and I I need to be with my daughter, the only part of her I have left. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so, why did you pick that quote while I try to figure out what page it's on? Oh, <laughs> Um, I picked it because, um, I just felt like it, it kind of sums up the, you know, in the best and the worst way that like, this really is a fantasy, like inside of Lavana's head. And that, and that basically this is, um, that this is like, this is all what she wants, not what he wants. Yeah, I feel like my my quote then goes in perfect with that, because my quote is, uh, so she says, well, she said, daring him to say no. Already she was feeling for the energy that surrounded him, ready to bend him to her, to her will if he denied her. This was for his own good. This was the only way to solidify their family, their happiness. So she's so delusional. She's so delusional. And so like, these are not, this is not a normal thing to do. Like, uh, it just, it makes me hurt. All of the decisions that she makes and all of the things that she does, like just makes me hurt. It's messed up, man. Yeah. Yeah. So mine, I went a little bit different of a direction. Mine was Everett talking to her um, when Everett said, you have a chance to find love, princess. Real love. Don't throw that away on me. I beg you. He's been trying very hard to convince her that he doesn't love her, and it's just not working. And at this moment, I think this is his, like, last-ditch effort. I think this is him being like, well, what other tactic could I try that hasn't worked? What I think is most heartbreaking is that it ends up being true. 
we as the reader know that Lavana wants to marry Kai because of marriage alliance and the opportunity to get Earth's resources and the opportunity to be the Commonwealth Empress. But we're not given any indication that she's in search of love. In fact, she even mocks Kai and Cinder for the very idea of love. And so it seems like at the point that we in the story meet her anyways, she sort of has Channery's opinion in life where she's like, love, that's not a real thing, you know. And so as the reader, it makes us wonder at what point did she finally understand whatever it was saying about the consequences of not having real love in your life. You don't know how to recognize right. what real love is. You have, you might have the idea of the concept. Right. Hey guys, my name's Abby and I co-host the Book Life Podcast with my best friend Mo. We cover fantasy, sci-fi, and historical fiction books and talk book-related topics like our favorite character types, world building, and books versus their movies. New episodes drop every Monday on your favorite platform. Now, back to your show. So, pages 115 to 120. Channery is yelling and stomping. She's literally throwing a temper tantrum and a hissy fit. Tell me it isn't true. Well, it is true. It is true. Woo, what? No, not really. I just see Lavana like, sitting there with like a shit eating grin on her face, just like, whatever. Like, yeah. Yeah, she she is loving. And I love that Lavana, like, like Channery was in the middle of like a. I don't know what's happening, but she's wearing shredded ribbons that barely cover what should be covered, right? According to Lavana. And looks like a spirit beneath a chandelier. Mm. Very interesting look, Channery. Yeah. Then again, when I was growing up, people put butterfly clips in their hair. So, I mean, I, I feel mean, like yeah. I, I, I thought, um, I, I, I was reading this and I was like, wait, isn't this the outfit that like she also wears when she's pregnant? And like forgetting that like this um, is- what. Was that a spoiler? Uh, what? Never. That's not what we got. We got one. I got one for the bloopers for sure now. (laughs) Cause she doesn't know that she's pregnant yet. Or she hasn't announced it. I don't think she knows yet. We transition in this pair in this chapter. We transition several months later. No, we don't. Oh no, wait. Uh No, we don't. No, we don't. What are you talking about? Like, this is just them sitting in a room right after no, the wedding. No, you're right. You're right. It's not a spoiler. She does reveal that she's pregnant. Okay. Yeah. But, but My it bad. Is, it, is, it is a spoiler for whatever dress Ruth was talking about. No, it's not. Well, she, no, she's wearing it right now. Yeah. Ruth is saying that it's interesting that Channery is revealing so much of her body and wearing basically ribbons when she's pregnant. Right. But, I mean. Oh, that's not I mean, that's not what I heard, but okay. I mean, Channery is also like totally that kind of person, but like also like, damn, I wish I could pull that kind of pull crap off, like right. Not self yeah. insecure about my body at all. I don't know what you're talking about. Why would you assume that? <laughs> Everybody's a bikini body. Yes. 
So Lavana is she's at the seamstress. She's getting a getting a new dress, and the seamstress started being a little like, "Hey, aren't you too skinny and stuff?" And Lavana like basically glared at her, and she was like, "You know what? Maybe I'm done." But La- Chattery is in there because she's absolutely furious that they got married. Like I said, she thought it was all fun and games when they were just fooling around. But marriage yeah. is not acceptable. She threatens to have him executed. She says, get it yeah. annulled right now. And Lavana's like, no, I'm not going to. And then she's like, fine, I'll kill him. I, I just love that yeah. literally the whole section starts with Channery calling uh, Lavana an idiot. Because that's exactly yep. what Lavana is in this moment. I mean, you know. Not, not just this moment, but. I mean, true but also she's she's not stupid but she's an idiot in love yeah because yeah. she's actually very intelligent but she's an idiot in love she does she is ignorant in the ways and worlds of love yeah so Luana is like I love him why do you even care and Channery again this is Channery's perspective who gives a sh- Love him. Bed him. Just don't marry him. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. Yeah. She's promised Lavana to a number of families, and so has their father. Yeah strategies in place and she says we need their support we want them to feel invested in us as rulers and for that we need to make alliances that is how this works Lavana. that is your only role as a part of this family and you can't even do that right right it's this typical uh like in you know in in romance tropes in you know movies and tv shows where you have multiple princes or princesses it's the the typical second child trope is that you're only good for one thing. You're only good for being married off as a, um, yeah. Well, it's, it's the idea of using them as chattel, basically like a, a, a bargaining chip to secure this alliance. You don't actually care about them. You just care about what they can get you. Yes. Means to an end. Yeah, I, I, I love, too, that we have here this place where Channery is, you know, really upset that um, that she married him. and But not only that she just married him, but that she married him without her permission. Because at the end of the day, Channery is queen of Luna, and she would have to get permission from... You know, anybody has to get permission from the, you know, queen to marry. So she just just for that, you know, technically she could execute them for that. Um, I guess. But then that would be that would be admitting that somebody went against her express orders. True. So I don't know that she would admit. I don't know that she would admit that. Well, but I, but I mean, but I mean, she said. is. Even though she didn't think that Lavana would actually do it, I think it's the because 
Because on page 94, Lavana says, I don't care what you think, I'm going to marry him. And Channery's response is, then you're an even bigger idiot than I realized. She doesn't tell her no. She doesn't tell her not to. She doesn't say I don't approve. But obviously she doesn't. Yeah. So Lavana says that she would rather die than marry just to please Channery. And Channery's response is that that can be arranged. You want to die, I can take care of that for you. Yeah. And this is where Lavana says, you don't need to marry me off. I just got a daughter. You can use winter. You just got to wait a couple years. Yeah. You mean that child, the baby of a guard and a seamstress? You think any one of the families will want her? Yeah. A replacement princess. A replacement princess. Well, and I find it interesting there that she literally says, just wait 16 years. Mm-hmm. She doesn't say wait 18 years. She says wait 16 years. Well, Channer, or Lavana is 16 and she's married. And earlier she revealed that her mother was also married at 16. So it's not that out of the norm in this society. Yeah, but it still sounds icky. It does sound icky. icky I agree. It is, it is icky. Um, and I had forgotten. I'm going to hop back a minute. Um, so I had forgotten um, about when the seamstress makes the comment about her being too skinny. Yeah. Um, I was just going to point out that we have seen her on multiple occasions where she has chosen not to eat. Um, or where the food she, tasted bad. Yeah, or where the food tasted bad. So I feel like this is uh, Marissa making a point there with um, using the food where she's chosen, she chooses, she chooses not to eat or she doesn't have an appetite or things don't, things don't taste good. Like, I feel like, um, I'm not exactly sure what Marissa wants us to get there. Um, but I feel like that's all interconnected. Like it wasn't just a a throwaway line for the scene. I feel like it's very, it's a very common trope in books and movies and TV shows that like when someone's upset, they don't want to eat. Which I have the exact opposite of that. Right? I'm like, bring me the nachos and the ice cream. I'm so depressed right now. Yeah. Like. Yeah. No, like. like, (laughs) I need to go get me some hibachi or chili cheese Fritos or whatever. Like, I'm the opposite. No, like, find me, find me, like, chocolate frosting. Like, the cans of chocolate frosting. Mm-mm. Yep. That's good stuff. Mm, damn, that makes me want nachos. I do. I really want food, too, because I've been dieting recently, so now I'm really hungry. I still have one chalupa from our break. Oh, I'm so, excited uh, for you. I'll be eating that when we're done. So you could, like, just mute yourself when you're not talking and take little bites. <laughs> I know, but I'm sitting on the bed, and, like, where it's on my desktop. Fair so, like, enough. I would actually have to get out of bed and, like, go meet myself. Well, we, we'll be done soon. There's not too much left to devour. So, Lavana says that Winter is her child now. And it might as well be that she gave birth to her herself. No one will even remember her true mother. And Channery is like, oh, okay, so you're going to raise her then? Well, I'm going to raise her as royalty. You mean, like, with nannies and tutors where she's completely ignored by her parents like we were? Uh-huh. Yeah. Again, the the idea the idea of being a mother, she likes the idea. She doesn't know how that works in right. actuality. Like she doesn't know what being a mother really entails. I kind of wish my my mother were here to give us some insight because my mother uh, got pregnant as a teenager, and that obviously wasn't 
part of her plan in life. And she got a very hasty marriage that did not last very long. And being a young mother was quite terrifying for her. And uh, as a child, I didn't really understand that. I was just like, how come my mom's so different than all the other moms? But like, as an adult, I can appreciate how overwhelming that must have been to be a teenager and trying to figure out how to also be a mom. Like you're now responsible for the life of this child. And not just like keeping it alive, you're supposed to like help it grow and develop and things like that too. Like, while also trying not to emotionally or mentally scar and traumatize. It's a lot of work. I don't have a kid, Ruth. I mean, good, more power to you for raising something. I mean, I would, <laughs> I, mean I, I would say even, even as, you know, I was, I was 24, 25 when I had slash was pregnant with Harrison and had Harrison. And it was overwhelming to me. Um, because of the situation that I was in, but I would definitely say it's, it's very, it, and, and I guess maybe, you know, it depends on the situation and, and everything like that. And I hope that one day Harrison will look back and say, you know, that no matter what she did the best that she could with what she had, um, but I mean, I, you know, I will say that, you know, the, the, the implications that come with having a child young or having a child out of wedlock, it, I mean, even though that's not this specific situation, um, mm-hmm. that, that, that's hard for anybody to process, um, let alone if you're dealing with, um, you know, in, in my case, I was dealing with family that, um, was like, oh, well, you know, just a reminder that, you know, 90% of single parents live in, live below the poverty line because, you know, they can't afford anything. Like, so I was getting that in one year. And then I was also like from my grandparents getting the, um, you should give her up for, you know, you should give your baby up for adoption because you had a baby outside of wedlock. I mean, I was already the first person to, in my family to, you know, live with somebody outside the rules of marriage. And then on top of that, like, then have a baby outside of wedlock. And uh, it's, it's quite funny because when I was in Chicago, I was joking. We were joking with my, I was joking with me, my younger sister, because she like thinks that she's the black sheep of the family. And I'm like, honey, no, there is no way that you are the black sheep of the family. Like, let's just be honest. I'm like, you're maybe like a, like a light to medium gray sheep. Um, <laughs> and, and I am definitely more of a medium gray to dark gray because even, even my dad, like my dad won't admit, like he hates that. Like I consider myself to be the black sheep of the family. And I'm like, um, let's reflect back. Let's look at this mood board here that reflects all of the um, things that you said, not even. Let's go through the scrapbook that is our yeah. lives. And <laughs> let me point out all this evidence yeah, and, from your yeah. own mouth. And then we'll have this conversation again. And you can, you can try and convince yeah, and, me. And you'll still be wrong, but you know, you can try. I mean, it, it even comes, you know, this is a, and, I, and I'm, t- you know, Morgan already knows this because we've already had this conversation, but, um, 
and none of my family is going to listen to this so they can suck it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, my, when my grandmother met, uh, my brother's, uh, daughter for the first time, uh, the words that she said to my brother, uh, ended up getting repeated to me by my stepmom because I think that on some level my stepmom is chaotic. Um, <laughs> uh, but she, she, she loves that drama. She loves that drama, but also she doesn't love the drama. It's just, it's one of those things. I think she doesn't realize that she's gossiping, but she is. Um, and, uh, but she, she told me what my grandmother said to my brother about, um, his child, he said, she said, congratulations on having the first legitimate great grandchild. Oh, that's cute. Um, and this is, this is my, my brother is the fourth grandchild to have a child technically. So it's not just you. It's just that he was married. So yeah, it's okay. He was, well, I mean, so I straight up had Harrison outside of wedlock, never ended up marrying, um, the person that I had my child with and we technically no longer speak really. Um, and then my cousin who had, um, a baby two years after I did, she, they weren't married. Um, they didn't get married until Jordy was like, uh, almost two years old, but they were together the whole time that she was pregnant and, but they were both in the military at the time. So he was stationed for the first, like, uh, right before, right after she had the baby, he got stationed in Japan for a year. So, you know, they were together, but they weren't actually physically together. And then, and then my, my other cousin who just turned, she'll be 20 in, uh, December, right after, right before I turned 31. And, um, and she, her, she found out that she was pregnant and the guy that got her pregnant, as soon as she told him, he like ran away and moved to Florida. That's Oh yeah, definitely. And then my brother like got married, had a baby and, and they got pregnant and he was like, we never thought that Charlotte would get pregnant because she has endometriosis and I think PCOS really bad. So they, they were just under the impression that it would be, they would be very, very lucky if they ever got pregnant and then they got pregnant. Um, and so, um, and so it's just funny, like even like when my brother told me, that um or when when I told my brother that my stepmom had told me that she was like he was like well that's really effed up like she she had no right to tell you that and I was like yeah but like at least now I know where where grandma sits on the issue (laughs) it's good to know these things I'd rather know and be able to like handle it in in a specific way, shape or form than not know. And then, you know, which was really funny because then that Sunday that we had when I was up there in Chicago, uh, was then when we had family dinner and my grandma was there for that. She was all like, got, you know, she made a comment while I was holding my niece that, Oh, well, why does, you know, why does everybody else get to hold the baby, but then I don't get to hold the baby? 
<laughs> but then, but then, and but then she like. Because you're just. Sorry. Yeah, and well, but then, but then after you know, then like you know, half an hour, forty five minutes later, she she goes up to my brother and she's like, "Oh, Daniel, you know that I would really love to hold the baby, but you know, I'm just so old, I just don't trust myself to hold." And I'm like, "Then why are you even complaining in the first place?" But um, this has become a tangent about me and not about Lavana. Uh, (laughs) but I would, you know, I, I think it's just very interesting that, um, in, in general, like Lavana just doesn't understand what comes with motherhood. Um, right. And even, even once, you know, everything has happened, um, you know, that, that we already know since this is a prequel, everything that has happened up to the end of Cress, you know, she still doesn't care about winter. I mean, it's been what, 13, 15 years. And, and she doesn't, she doesn't care about winter as like her daughter, like, ugh, crazy princess winter, crazy, my crazy stepdaughter. She doesn't care about her. No, she doesn't. So, so, Lavana says that because where we left off before, <laughs> just, pre-tangent. just I know, like pre-tangent, pre-tangent, because I know sometimes when I'm listening back, I'm like, wait, how did we get from one to the other? Channery asked how Lavana was going to raise Winter with nannies and tutors, and Lavana says that she will be raised with every luxury and desire she could possibly want, and Everett loves her very much. As, as do I. So she plans on raising this, this baby with lots of love, right? And then she even thinks to herself, it was a lie. She knew it was a lie. But she also felt that someday it could be true. The girl was her daughter now, after all, and she was a part of Everett. So how could Lavana not love her? Mostly, though, she said it just to watch the annoyance slip over her sister's face. Yeah. Just wants to. She just wants to annoy Chandler. I think it's really funny though how earlier um, you po- posited the fact that maybe if the baby was a boy and looked just like Everett, that she would love it. And it's just kind of funny. I was just curious. Well, no, it's, I just think it's funny it, now, like looking back on like that specific like paragraph where um, where she says that, even though like. I don't think that's why I'm like, I don't really think that it would matter if it was a boy or a girl. Yeah. So where my, where my brain was going with that was, um, basically for some reason, she's thinking that even with all of her familial experience of no one giving her that love that she wanted, she feels like maybe someday I could love this child. Like, where where are you getting that confidence, Lavana? Like, where where is it coming from? Because we have no like no evidence to back this up in your history, unfortunately, which is sad for you. But let's be honest here. I I think again she sees the potential. She saw Everett and and Solstice when Solstice was was pregnant. She saw how much Everett doted on her, how gentle he was with her, how how delicate and affectionate and precious she seemed in Everett's eyes and within his 
his affections for her. And she thinks the connection there was the baby, the pregnancy. So if she develops a relationship with Winter, then that love will also come from Everett. Yeah. Okay. Okay, fair. I can see. I can definitely see that. Yeah. And she even tells Channery that, like, she hopes to get pregnant soon. And and that she still pretends to be pregnant when she's alone. When she, she still uses the glamour to pretend to be pregnant when she's by herself sometimes. Yikes. Yeah. Like, that was, that, oh, that's so, so much secondhand embarrassment during that scene. Like, oh. Yeah. So this is, this is what happens. I'm on page 119. She had been thinking about it a great deal, actually, often returning to the glamour of Solstice's pregnant belly when she was alone, running her fingers over the top flesh. She had not really considered wanting a child until she watched Everett holding his baby girl, seeing the softness in his gaze. That was something she could give him, too. Something that she could share with Solstice. No. Lavana's child would be better than Solstice's. Because hers would have royal blood. So it still comes back to wanting to be better than Solstice. Wanting to replace and eclipse Solstice's very existence. Yeah. And again, this is an obsession. And this goes back to what you've been saying. This is an obsession. This is not... This is not love. She is obsessed. Very much so. On another level, she's also, like, even, like, severely jealous of everything that Solstice had. And she thinks that, ha, Mm -hmm. she's better than Solstice now because Solstice is no longer here. Um, Yeah. Which is effed up in so many different ways. No matter how many children Solstice would have been able to give Everett, they always would have been the daughter of a seamstress. But if Lavana can give them children, they'll have the royal blood, like she says, which would make them yeah. better, as she said. I'm not saying it makes them better. I'm saying Lavana says yeah. that. I just want to make that Well, clear. and I even have in my notes that I yeah. said Lavana thinks her baby would be better than Solstice's. Yeah. So this is when Channery reveals that she's pregnant. She says, well, if you actually do have your own child, then we'll discuss marrying it off. In the meantime, I am at least doing my duty to further our bloodline without tainting it with disgraceful marriages. Because little Princess Winter will soon have a baby cousin. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And Channery hopes for a boy because she's absolutely sick of princesses. Uh, correction, she's sick of stupid princesses. Yes, very good clarification. Um, so this is when Channery rips Lavana's dress just to reveal all the scar tissue on her ribs and make sure every it's still there. That's what Lava- Channery loves to do best. And Lavana asks if it's the gay man that got her pregnant. Yeah. Did you finally, like, like, what, did you finally convince him and now he got you pregnant? And this is Ruth's favorite line, so I'll let you say it. Um, I have no idea who the father is, Channery snapped, turning away again. Don't you see, Lavana? That's the point. I mean, it, like, it's satisfying, but then also, like, at the same time, it still is, like, I know that. Marissa will never give us the information that we want because Marissa doesn't know and she said so, but like I just Yeah, when I did that interview with her, that was one of the biggest questions people asked and she flat out said, I don't even know that's the point. Yeah. 
And like, even she as the author doesn't know because no one is supposed to know because according to Chandra, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just what matters is that it has her blood. And so it's royal. Who cares where the other half yeah. came from? And it's just like, it's just like, but also like, <laughs> but okay. In, in, in talking about that though, because we know that she has had many trysts and affairs with, you know, people of the family and military people. I mean, Constable Dubrovsky and, and guards and all of Well, this. she wants Constable Dubrovsky, but he has other interests. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. But, but just like, I just, I literally just thought of this, but, um, like, the, the fact that because we don't know who the father is, the, like twinkling that like um and and twinkling not in a good way um suspicion that like you on some level channery could have you know glamored everett and look um anyways um not beside the point um Anyways, wait, I don't, wait, what are you trying what to say? What I'm trying to say because is, is that because Channery has been with so many different people, which I feel like she would come out and say it if she had actually slept with Everett. Um, but just the implication that because she has been with so many people she, that. I mean, she did, she did imply it at one she point. She did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was. It was in it was in a threat to Lavana, but she has she has implied it. I don't think in this scenario, like you're just giving yourself icky yeah, ideas. Yeah, no, definitely just giving myself it. icky ideas. Yeah, but I mean, like, also not to be like that person, but we're not given the indication that Cinder is black, so we we aren't. But also, but like, but like because because there is just that like that unknowingness is more of what I'm saying. I guess the unknown, the unknown at this yeah. point, like so. I mean, I mean, the unknown yeah, forever no, I, because we will never know. I, I, despite the fact that we will never know, I would say the margin that it's Everett's child is extremely. Oh low. yeah, definitely. It was yeah. just um, again. I get like, what you're. I get what you're saying that like because we don't know, it's kind of gross to think that maybe it could be. But I would say it's like. It's more likely that it's Constable Dabrowski's kid and he's gay. So I mean yeah. I mean true. And, um so with the with her being the being pregnant in this scenario and we know like the line is going to go to her descendant, um, that's what gets me feeling like this is more likely to be like a matriarchal society mm -hmm. um, because they can assure that the bloodline is going to be the same through the females yep. than it is because apparently everybody's promiscuous. You're not going to have um, an illegitimate girl child because you know where it comes out. Yeah. Right? But you could easily, yeah. and, and history has shown us that uh, men in royal positions can easily father children outside of their marriage where it becomes quote illegitimate right yeah the baby is coming out of the mom we know whose mom it is yeah exactly like um, yeah so, so 
Yeah. You don't really yeah, need so, a maternity test as much as you need a paternity test, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah. And I feel yeah. I feel like with with Channery, like and this is this might be me grasping at straws, but I feel like part of her um, dislike for Lavana just going ahead and getting married is what if Channery didn't want to ever go get married? She didn't have she doesn't have to. Because she's the queen. And they don't care. I mean, they don't care who the sire is as long as he has, as long as the child has that bloodline. So she could decide never to get married. And if somebody wants to make the alliance, that's what she would have had Lavana on the back burner for. Also, Lavana is stealing her thunder. Channery loves to be the center of attention and such, and she loves to do it in a dramatic way. And this was going to be her moment to be like, I'm mysterious. Pay attention to me. Let the gossip rumble about who my baby daddy might be. And instead, it's the fact that the 16-year-old princess married a widowed guard whose wife died seven minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. so part yeah. of it, too, I think Channery is pissed that Lavana swooped in and stole that moment from her. Yeah. But then Channery steals it back, like announcing announcing you're pregnant at somebody else's wedding or, or um, well right after the wedding or, yeah. yeah or getting engaged at somebody else's wedding like yeah you don't do that but Channery Chan- got the attention back real quick she did so Lavana even says she says wait Channery she started to chase after her a thousand questions in her head but stopped when her sister wheeled back to face her face drawn in agitation Whose is it? The constables? Like, even Lavana has, you know, a thousand questions. Like, who, like, whose baby is it? Like, you know. And everybody's going to want to yeah. know. Okay. So I'm going to go first for chapter titles because I don't have one. Before. <laughs> okay. I didn't submit one and it wasn't on the drawing. But, like, I do want to mention a song. Okay. Um, I don't necessarily know that it fits with this chapter, but I'm going to throw it in there because I want to talk about it. Um, but it's um, All You Want to Do from Six the Musical, which I am now obsessed with. So this is Kay Howard's song, and she basically was groomed as a child and, like, used by men repeatedly throughout history and then um, was beheaded So like, poor girl um but basically the song is like all all you want to do is is touch me all you want to do is use me um and uh with how i feel like it applies to to the lunar chronicles to fairest is like how um channery is using lawana how she has abused Lavana in the past um and then with Lavana and and Everett like all she all she wants to do is like get that love from him and get that get that affection and she she is touch starved so she's also pushing him to touch her and all that kind of stuff so that that's going to be my mine even though it's not on the voting it's all you want to do so okay <laughs> I have a I have a uh, again, I also I also have a d- different song, but I I thought about this while we were just talking about um, the notes, 
and there's uh, a song by Tessa Violet that's called, um, it's called, I like the idea of you, but like the way that she has the, like the name of the song, it's like, I like, and then in parentheses, it says the idea, uh, of, and then you, um, so basically it's like, I like you, but like, I like the idea more of you than actually liking you. Um, and it's, and, and in the, like in the chorus, it says that I like the idea of you wonder how it'd be to love you. Um, and then, um, and yeah, I don't need to, I know I don't need it, but wouldn't it be neat if we fell in love with, with a feeling, just feeling you and me, I keep repeating, repeating the way we shouldn't be, but, Oh, I like the idea of you. That just like popped into my head when we were talking about the notes is that, you know, like they both like the idea, Channery and Lavana both like the idea of love or wanting to be with somebody. But in this I'm not sure Channery likes the idea of love. Channery dismisses it very quickly. Well, I mean, in her, in her, um, she wants everyone to love right. her. And, right, but she has no desire for, like, a love type of relationship or marriage. Well, or... I, I would say more of, like, she, she loves the way that she feels, like, in, in the moment when she's, like, seducing somebody. But then she can throw. Right, but, but then she has, can throw. That doesn't away. have as much to do with love as it does control. True, true. But like, but she loves the idea of that, of like having that temporary thing. And then she's like, okay, I'm bored with you. I'm gonna go get something else. Um, right. But yeah, that was just kind of like a thought that popped into my head uh, while we were talking about this section. Um, but my actual chapter title is. Um, Fooling You by Rachel Platten. And um, my favorite lines from the song are, um, any reasonable person would have left by now. Um, You saw my wild ways stuck around. uh, Well, okay, I take that back. So my favorite line is the any reasonable person would have left by now. But then... um, But then, like, parts of the chorus say that um, you saw my wild ways stuck uh, stuck around through my ugly days. I know you mean everything you say, so why do I feel like I'm fooling you? Um, And uh, I kind of feel like this is, like, a little bit of, like, a Levana lament, but also, like, she doesn't realize it at the time. Um, And... uh, and then in verse two, she says, seems like I might have kicked the habit of not letting in the magic. Um, I know it isn't easy when the weakest part of me preys on the good that you and me made. Um, and like, it feels like a Levana lament, but also like a little bit of Everett being like, you used me to get what you want. And I'm trying to not let in the magic that is your glamour, but I can't stop you. Um, and then in the bridge, she says, or maybe it's just hard for me to see all the good you say you see in me. Um, I wish I could believe it, but why? 
but I feel like I'm fooling you. Um, and again, it just kind of feels like a little bit of, um, like a back and forth between the two of them, but it's, it's a very good song. Yeah. So what was yours, Bethany? So mine was The Kids Aren't Alright by Fall Out Boy, which is one of my favorite songs by them. I could literally listen to it on repeat. It's just so good. Fall Out Boy, one of the reasons I like them so much is the same reason I love Taylor Swift so much. I'm a very lyrically driven person. I love when lyrics tell a story outside of the music. I love when lyrics get you in the feels, you know? This song is is a lot about like when you fall in love with someone and your focus becomes about your children and not your marriage and your relationship. Um, so it's not necessarily directly applicable, but I, I do feel like it represents the distractedness that both Lavana and Channery have in terms of what the purpose of having children is for, so to speak, be- because their purpose for being parents and having children is not... It doesn't come from a place of love. It comes from a place of convenience, advantage, things like that. Um, And so I just really loved this this particular song because these kids are not all right. (laughs) Levana and Channery had a very negative upbringing that did that left both of them touch starved and they just handled it in different ways channery filled that void by seeking comfort in the arms of anyone she could and and lavana filled that void by becoming obsessed with the arms of the one man she couldn't have and i just i, I feel like i really felt like those things connected and resonated with this particular song i can definitely see yeah. that so what was your quote for this one, Morgan? Uh, mine was... I closed my page. Sorry. <laughs> it was um, at the bottom of page 119. So in the meantime, I am at least doing my duty to further our bloodline without tainting it with uh, with a disgraceful ma- or with disgraceful marriages. Um, so she's she's furthering the bloodline um and she's basically like slapping Lavana in the face like calling her marriage um disgraceful and that essentially saying that now uh she's tainted because she married um below her um and stuff like that and I wonder if maybe maybe that is what the purpose, what, like, where we don't know what Channery is saying, like, that's the point. Like, what if the point is, I didn't marry, I didn't marry him, or I didn't marry someone below me, but that could be the father, but that doesn't, that doesn't matter, because I didn't marry him. So... I also think it doesn't matter who the father is, because no one knows who the father is. Like, like Winter yeah. is the daughter of a seamstress and a guard, and that's part of the reason that Channery is so dismissive of her. The fact that Everett is just a guard is something that Channery dismisses. But if no one knows who her baby daddy is, then no one knows what his station was. Exactly. And so it doesn't matter. What matters most is where the other half came from, which is a queen. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. 
Ruth, what about yours? I know we already read it, but do you want to talk about it and read it again for the sake of segments? <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, my quote was, I have no idea who the father is, Channery snapped, turning away again. Don't you see, Lavana? That's the point. And I think the, um, the whole... Uh, um, the whole point of like me loving that um, quote is just kind of the the snappiness that um, that Channery has one towards Lavana, but like how she sees her her role as um, the like as the queen is she's she's trying she's on some level she's trying to do something something different than what her parents did because while her parents, you know, had two daughters when, um, you know, when they were, when they were unsofortunately had their lives ended, um, they, um, uh, you know, her, her father was in bed with his miss, one of his many mistresses, and her mother was in bed alone. And she's like, you know, I'm, I'm changing, I'm tipping the scales. I'm changing the way that um, the queens have been in the past. And she's like, and I don't care that, um, that nobody knows who the father is. Because at the end of the day, that's not what matters. What matters is that I gave Luna an heir. I agree. And on that same note, my quote was... She had what her sister did not have, a family, someone to love her. In terms of what you just said, the mother being alone, but the father was with another woman when they died. Lavana won't be like that. She's hoping that she'll be with Everett. Yeah. So in her own way, she's also avoiding being alone and changing the narrative of the queen's role, the princess's role, the way that the women in this royal family have been represented and treated. Yeah. But I also think that like we've talked about before, Lavana is just absolutely desperate for love. And even in this instant, she says somebody to love her. It's one of the few times when Everett is taken out of the, equa the equation. It's not Everett will love her, which is so far her biggest thing. It's one of the few times when she points out that somebody will love her and that's what's important. And it, it goes back to what I was saying about like, she just wants to be loved and it, it just so happens that Everett is the fixation of that obsession. Yeah. Again, and that's where I was saying earlier, like he was in the wrong place at the right time. Like, Absolutely. He, whatever, whatever that catalyst was, that ruined his life. Like, uh, poor, he's just so nice. He's just yeah. so nice. And like, we know, like, it's the questionable uh, circumstances of why do bad things happen to good people? Or even why nice guys yeah. finish last. Finish last. Yeah. He, I bet he wish. Oh, no, he doesn't. I don't know. I mean, on some level, I'm sure he wishes that he was you know, not the person that she put her hooks in. Of course. Yeah. I'm sure on a lot of levels he wishes that. Probably yeah. all of them. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. So 
This week, there were four Easter eggs. The bonus word hair appeared five times, and the bonus word scars appeared once. Next week, we're going to discuss pages 121 to 134. And all of the good stuff. Follow, rate, review, subscribe, join Patreon, check out coffee, and leave a tip. Um, all of the things that help Bethany keep the podcast going. Yes. Which is always my goal. Um, ladies, do you want to tell... I know you guys have been on, like, a bajillion episodes, but just in case this is the first one <laughs> someone's listening to, um, do you want to tell everyone where they can follow you on social media if they would like to do so? Uh, yes, I will go ahead and share uh, my Instagram if you'd like to follow me there. It is lovely greeting, L-O-V-E-L-E-I-G-H, greeting. Um, and then um, I also have a Twitter, which I rarely use. <laughs> um, I, think it's, I think it's lovely reads because um, lovely reading was too long. Um, but, yeah, I am working on getting back into being active on my bookstagram account um so if you want to be friends just hit me up on there ruthie um i am on instagram at uh spoiler queen or spoiler alert queen um i believe this is the accurate yeah spoiler alert queen because somebody had spoiler queen which shame on them um <laughs> that is my name um and also on my more active side, I'm on uh, Instagram as Baby Ruthless ninety, um, and then I'm also on Twitter uh, at uh, Spoiler underscore Queen. Um, but again, like Morgan said, I'm not super active on that. I've been uh, again in a huge. COVID reading slump. So this is like the most that I've committed to doing is doing uh, notes and stuff for the <laughs> podcast. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Check me out. Give me a follow if you want. But um, I would just also, I just saw on Instagram that um, Bethany won YA book chats uh, birthday giveaway. Congratulations. This is my first giveaway that I've ever won. I never win them. <laughs> so, so I'm very excited. So congrats <laughs> to you on that. Thank you. Um, and those all look like fun things to have that she was giving away. They do. So, so also please remember to rate, revise, rate, revise, rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs> the podcast is everywhere at Prince Kai Fan Pod. And that's it. I Yay! hope we did it. I hope everybody has a, a great week. Keep reading, keep listening, and as always, don't get glamorous. Don't forget to stay moisturized and hydrated. Yes. <laughs> Although I don't know why we're talking about that. I don't know either. <laughs> I, we're all sleep deprived at this point. I know. I've been up for like 20 hours. <laughs> and I've spent so much of it at my computer. Um, that is the story of my life. Anyways, don't get glamoured. Don't get glamoured. Bye. The passages read for you today are from Fairest by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guests were Morgan Clark and spoiler queen Ruth Redmond. 
The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pavo, and the logo art was created by Angela Wong. Thank you for listening. When we got Verizon 5G home internet, it sounded like it could handle all our needs. But one thing it couldn't handle was our frustration. And hey, we deserve reliable internet. It's time for better internet. Fast, reliable internet. Switch to Xfinity. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Verizon 5G facts.